Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. The snow has turned Boston into a cold layer of sorrow and regret. Gab, what are you drinking? I am drinking a, a hot toddy, um, a homemade hot toddy. So it has a little bit more sugar than spice and probably a little bit more whiskey than required. But uh, yeah, feeling a little feeling a little scratchy throat and going to try not to cough my way through this uh this episode um what are you what are you drinking buddy i am drinking a little mixed cocktail that is guava juice and pim's blackberry and elderflower oh that sounds delicious it's a really nice fruity (laughs) sweet drink it's it's cold though i would probably be better off with a hot toddy you and i should switch drinks well um a couple things that happen the big one that we'll get to first is the USA England game, which technically ended 1-0, but really was a 1-1 game. Yeah, it, it should have it should have gone down as a draw. We had a, a sideline ref who, um, a sideline official who maybe she had a few hot toddies herself. Oh, I think, I mean, I would hope that she went back and rewatched the game footage for like job analysis and saw that and was like, that was bad, and I should feel bad. Probably. Hopefully. Probably. I mean, you, you know, you, officials probably do that all the time, right? They probably go back and review their matches and critique things and, and are constantly striving for improvement, right? Unsure if sarcastic or <laughs> literal. That's kind of my M.O., man. Yeah. So I... Uh... I took game notes, and I think it's telling that my first half game notes are about ten times more detailed than my second half game notes. <laughs> you at least uh, attempted game notes. I was sitting alone in a bar watching Fox Soccer on mute, drinking snake bite after snake bite. So by the second half, I was pretty ready for the weekend to start. So I, I have zero game notes, but. I think it was a fairly memorable game in how sloppy both teams were. Just... I was I was extremely impressed uh, with the way France played against the the U.S. Women's National Team uh, a couple weeks ago. I think they outplayed the USA quite a bit, and unfortunately, England didn't step up to the plate in the same way France did, um, and actually allowed the U.S. to look good. The thing is. So in the podcast that we did after the France game, we noted that if you're England and you see this performance, you should be ready to like just come out the gate. Guns a-blazing? Guns a-blazing, firing on full auto, just empty the clip. But they played so conservatively, like kind mm-hmm. of fearfully. A lot of times there would be like eight or nine defenders behind the ball. Sometimes I feel like every England player would be behind the ball. And even if they did get a chance to counter... They were they would be so penned into their own defensive third, they'd have to work the ball all the way back up the field, and by that time, we'd either get back and recover, or they wouldn't, you know, they'd make a hash out of it. I just feel like if England had pressed harder, maybe come at us in a more attacking formation, they could have, they could have come out of that with a win. They they could have absolutely. Um, I don't think the U.S. defense necessarily showed much better than they did against France. It's just uh, opportunities uh, were lost by England. 
you know, Jody Taylor oftentimes was the only striker uh, up top and, and things just weren't getting finished. I think in the first half, uh, Ashton Harris wasn't really tested all that much. Um, I could be absolutely wrong, but I'm trying to recall a, a save um, that she had she had to make in the first half that that was that was critical. I think both teams did a really good job of kind of dispossessing or at least breaking up play in the midfield. Um, unfortunately, neither team was really doing a great job of moving the ball forward. Our two strikers, Morgan and Wambach, haven't haven't quite found the rhythm that they uh, that they're known for in being the dynamic duo up top, uh, which is which is okay, I guess. The the, the Kool Aid drinking uh, women's national team fan uh, in me says it's okay that this team isn't peaking. Um, that at least they got a win. So you sound like Tony DeChico. A little bit, right? I mean, I think it's noteworthy that Alex Morgan didn't really touch the ball for 20-some minutes until her goal, what, in the late 20-somethingth minute? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it was beautiful cross-in by Holiday. Mm-hmm. It was great service by uh, Holiday. But, as many people have noted, Holiday got that cross-in because she was deeply out of position. Oh, absolutely. Our midfield was horribly, horribly, horribly organized. Um, that was that was one one big takeaway I had from the entire match is uh, the four players in the midfield, I think you could probably count on one hand the number of minutes that they were actually in their assigned position, which is this clusterfucky philosophy that Jill Ellis has about letting Carly Lloyd just do what she wants to do. And I'm sure she has the same philosophy about letting Kristen Press do what she wants to do. And Holiday just kind of fills in the gaps. Which is a pretty big misuse of Lauren Holiday. She should not be the the cock that you use to like seal up a leak in your tub. Absolutely. Um, but I feel like that's Lauren Holiday's like U.S. soccer legacy. Well, she she shouldn't be used to seal. She should be like the fancy showerhead with all the settings that actually makes the shower awesome. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. What um what was Lauren Hill's album? Miseducation the, of Lauren Hill. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Like I feel like if Lauren Holiday, Lauren Cheney had an album, it would be the misuse of Lauren Holiday. Like US soccer just doesn't know how to utilize Lauren Holiday in a way that motivates her and in a way that gets like the best performance out of her ever. And Abby Wambach really was not much of a presence in front of goal either no she was she was a big distraction i think she always had one or two players marking her um which goes back to you know why you you always felt that there were seven or nine english players like on defense i think that they they gave a lot of credit to her attacking but they shouldn't have yeah they really shouldn't have yeah Uh, sure we came out guns a-blazing with our two to best players up top but uh as you as you saw they're kind of shooting blanks right now there was a great analysis by the head coach of kentucky uh john lipsitz and it was on equalizer we'll post the link on the show um where he kind of analyzed the problems with the united states and what we can do short term plus long term and i think i really agree it's too late to experiment anymore or to demand change or to ask for integration of younger it's way too late like, we just need to focus on winning the World Cup 
And then for the next three years, just toss winning out the window. Next three years are rebuilding years. Give up, give up this Olympic gold medal legacy thing. Yeah, but part of that is accepting that Abby is not a 90-minute player anymore and that she should be used as a super sub. We've, we've brought that up on the show before, that Abby Wambach should be used either like in the first 30 minutes of a game to terrorize a back line, or my preference is she'd be used in the last 25 to 30 minutes of a game to terrorize a back line that's tired. Yeah, a back line that we've already worn out by having sit up there and press or or players are going to run amok. Abby's not going to run amok. Abby's just going to pound back lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I made you laugh tonight. Usually they... it's it's usually I'm the laugh track. Are they tired and sweaty <laughs> and Abby's just going to pound them? And pound them. Uh, yeah, I mean they've they've been stretched uh, by by other younger forwards, and then you bring Abby in, and Abby's just gonna relentlessly keep pounding away at that six yard box until hopefully we release a torrent of goals. Yeah, I mean you you have to just assume that goals are coming. <laughs> Like at some point you you pound enough. It's no, it's dead. It's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I I'm guess I'm trying to figure out how 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 we how we uh, tease that one on our on our Twitter. I mean, <laughs> there has to be some teasing before you get to the pounding. So. <laughs> If you're nice, if you're nice, if you want to do it right, I mean, I mean, if, if you're if you're in the mood for that. So I guess to summarize <clears> the game <throat> itself, it's that if either the United States had gotten their shit together or England had been a bit bolder, we could have seen a bit more of a lopsided scoreline. Why wasn't uh, Sanderson playing more? She was subbed in like in the 70th or 80th minute. I haven't read enough England analysis to know for sure, um, but it seems like Mark Sampson wanted to experiment with this lineup, especially against the United States. Sure. But as with the United States, I don't know why he waited so long to make subs. It was almost as foolish as our last minute subs which Jill seemed to be using as both a conciliatory gesture and a way to run time off of stoppage. I hated our subs. Like, we get six subs in international friendlies like this. Those subs were insulting. And we we play, like, crap for 80 minutes and then start subbing. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I just feel like... Even if she was using those subs tactically to run time off of stoppage, why are you doing that in a friendly when you can use six subs? And B, if I were one of those subs, I would be insulted. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I know you're, you're Kelly O'Hara and you come on with 30 seconds left. I know. I know part of being a player is accepting your coach's tactical decisions and, you know, if you're being used to run down the clock, you do it for the team. But there's no reason mm-hmm. to run down the clock in this game. We're not in a fucking, you know, knockout round of the World Cup or anything. It was it was an insult, quite frankly, to those players. I, I mean, yeah, 
I think we can be insulted for them um, in their from their perspective. I mean, God, the the mental strength that's got to take to be a player on this team is ridiculous. The the team used to have a uh, a sports psychologist, um, Colleen, Colleen Hacker. Hacker, who I actually got to study under at Pacific Lutheran University. Um, but Name she drop. used to be the the sports psychologist for the team, and I, I wonder if they if they still have a program like that where. Um, somebody will come in and, and actually evaluate the team and evaluate the players and work on like, you know, go above and beyond those, those trust falls that we joke about and, and are really preparing this team for, for what, what it's, what's coming ahead. You know, I, I hope, I hope they have somebody like that on staff. I hope maybe she's still on staff with them. Well, you would hope that they would, because we're now at a point where it's just a matter of percentages like single digit percentages that can make a difference because if the teams are matched in skill and athleticism then that where does that one percent difference come so sometimes that can make all the difference it's kind of like at the quarterfinals of the last world cup we're going to penalty kicks against brazil and all our players are standing and they're psyched and they're enthused and all the brazilian players are sitting and kind of looking like they don't want to do it exhausted yeah like not no, just physically there a, exhausted. There was a mental but, exhaustion yeah. that Brazil hit, as as well as a physical exhaustion. So yeah, I would hope that they would keep someone like that on around. Absolutely, it's it's just one of those situations where it's like, okay, if you if you do have a sports psychologist and you do have somebody involved with the team at that level, what the fuck is going on with Abby Wambach? <laughs> I totally get that she is the fucking battering ram for this team. She's the one that's going to, like, be motivating them and telling them they can do it and, like, pushing them. But I don't necessarily know if that's, like, the best captain material. I think uh, different teams utilize the, <clears throat> the captain function in different ways. Sometimes the captain is not the the big rah-rah, pump-up kind of person, but, like, they're really quiet. Christine Sinclair. She's a... The really quiet, quiet Christine Sinclair. The really quiet, like Becky Sauerbrunn. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the player that's the mental strength of the team. Yeah. And the team's needs shift. They might the things that they need from a captain in say two thousand eight, for uh, random reasons, might differ from mm-hmm. the things that they need in a captain in twenty fifteen. Yeah, and you know, uh, I think the captain should be a player that sets the tone a little bit. And I just don't know if what Wambach is bringing to the table is the tone that this team necessarily needs. Yeah, I'm not super sure that the team needs a hype person right now. Yeah, this team needs a, a, a steady-as-she-goes person because, holy crap, they're in for a world of hurt. I mean, far be it from us to second-guess what the team needs because we're not there. It just seems like, based on what we've watched, they need someone level-headed, thoughtful, and very soccer smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this team just needs to be a little bit soccer smarter. <laughs> In general. So my In other, general. My other miscellaneous game notes were Morgan Bryan stepped up this game, I felt like. Um, a couple times I really noticed her tracking back, shutting down uh, an English counter or offensive attempt, and retaking possession. I liked mm-hmm. it. So that's a good sign for but- Houston. But in a controlled way. She would do it in a way that was a little bit different than how Holiday's been doing it recently, where Holiday will just give it away for free. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Morgan Bryan held onto it and would actually like look up and try to find Carly Lloyd or try to find like Kristen Press. But one thing, one thing that Morgan Bryan still makes me really nervous about is, and maybe it's it's just her kind of showing her age and showing like that she's still new to playing at senior level, but she is reckless from time to time. Like she'll have high kicks. Um, she'll go in hard uh, and not necessarily in like a bruiser Carly Lloyd sort of way or Shannon Box sort of way, but just in a like, Oh, I'm young and Iron Man. Like I'm young and bulletproof. It just, it just makes me nervous. Like every, every match that she plays, I always get kind of squeamish on like two or three of her plays i'm just like oh let's 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 rein that in a little bit but not kadisha buchanan levels no no definitely not definitely not to that level um i thought i thought christian press had a really really good game um i thought she she stepped it up and, and was doing doing fairly well unfortunately she had a really good game in that roving winger yeah uh go wherever you want thing that that we're doing with the midfield right now that doesn't seem to make sense and doesn't really in my head um have a legacy with this team but it's this fucked up thing that's happening right now yeah i have in my notes a couple times that press gave uh some great service from wide which now that she's doing that heather o'reilly never needs to play for this team again i guess so oh yeah uh heather who oh my god so let's talk a little bit about midfield and defense and service. Like the midfield would usually you want to like keep keep players wide, I I, I think. Um, but the midfield would really shift to whatever half of the pitch uh, the play was on, and it was really up to the outside backs to be making those long runs to deliver service. And unfortunately. Um, on the left-hand side, I don't think Kling, Megan Klingenberg uh, had too many of those serves. But holy crap, on the right-hand side, Ali Krieger was all over the place. Yeah, she was jumping up and down the right side. In, in the most amazing way, but in a way that makes me go, I want to know how many miles she ran. You should at Don Scott and ask her for the, uh, the GPS data from that game. Oh, absolutely. Don Scott will give it to me. I'm sure. Your BFF, Don? My BFF Dawn. Next time I'm down in LA, I'll uh, I'll hook her, I'll look her up and uh, and repay repay the favor with a cocktail or two, or like a healthy bed of salmon on quinoa. I don't know. Oh, I bet you Don Scott's a bit of a boozer. <laughs> wow, you yeah. you heard it here <laughs> first, I, folks. I bet she is. This is this is this is why we're totally going to get you a soccer credentials. Oh yeah. Oh, we'll get to that in a totally. Minute. And my last note for the game, um, other than where I wrote down subs in all caps followed by four question marks. Is, Around like the 70th minute, yeah, the 75th minute. Is, uh, I thought Karen Bardsley did pretty well. Recently, I feel like she's been kind of iffy in goal, at least on the national level. So I was happy to see her kind of step up to what I think is her usual performance level. Yeah, uh, I think I think England did have moments of brilliance um, or, you know, moments of, holy crap, this isn't the same England that uh, was under um, Hope Powell, <laughs> um, which I know is, uh, is easy uh, to be not that England. But, um, yeah, that disallowed goal, you know, a couple of, of missteps on, on their defense. All, all around, you know, this match was just sloppy. 
for both teams. You just bit into the game and all the fillings fell out of the sides. Yeah, and it wasn't like gooey and wonderful. It was like, oh my god, I can't use enough napkins to clean this up. Well, next up for the United States is the Algarve, um, which is going to be on Fox Sports 1. Seriously. Like, unfortunately, a lot of the matches are on weekdays, um, work weekdays, but holy crap, Fox Sports 1 is picking up the Algarve. Like, how fucking exciting is that? Yeah. Uh, Algarve starts March 4th. We're playing Norway, Switzerland, and Iceland, and then we'll see who we play, you know, if we make it to the final, which... A, a year plus two years ago, I just said we'll see who we play in the final, and now it's like, oh, we got to throw in that if we got to qualify this shit. Well, after last year's performance at the Algarve, like last year's performance was the beginning of the end for the awesome high that U.S. soccer fans could be on, which unfortunately also marked the beginning of our podcast. Uh, so I'm I'm not saying that there's a causation here. Um, but, oh, oh, shit, what if we did this? <laughs> the correlation is strong. <laughs> <laughs> shit, we fucked up, dude. I'm not saying that there was causation, but there is a non-zero chance this was our <laughs> fault. <laughs> oh, where's our hot tub time machine? So, in other news, there's been some minor NWSL movement as well. Uh, Houston Dash picked up quite a feather in their cap in Stephanie Roach. You might remember uh, her from being nominated for the Puskas and almost winning. Not really almost winning, but getting a lot more votes than I think, a lot more votes than I thought she would. Getting the most votes a female goal has ever gotten before. Well, I think she's the first woman to get to the final three. Yeah, and she was sec- second place. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it was a fantastic goal, and so every, she's been kind of the talk of the town, the bell of the ball, you could say. And, uh, yeah, Houston Dash, Randy Waldrum was able to snag her. Um, we'll, we'll see how she does in, in a league that um, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say is a step up from what she's been playing over in Europe. Last summer, she signed for a French Division One team, Albi, and mm-hmm. now she's coming to the Dash. Well, yeah. Clearly, she's got technical skill, but once again, a lot of European players, when they come to the United States, what do they all say? They say, I wasn't expecting it to be so fast. It's so fast. It's so physical. Mm -hmm. They work out so hard. I just wasn't... And, like, that that learning curve can be really steep. So we'll see if she adapts to the faster, pacier style and if she can bring some uh, technicality to the dash. I trust that Randy Waldron will use her well. I, I think Randy Waldrum's playing the slow game. He knew last year, uh, being the first year of this that team, and you know he he, he didn't have an easy season in terms of like player health and, and things like that. I think he he probably knew what what he was getting into, and and now the Houston Dash, Houston Dash for the next season or three are, are, is going to be the team to watch. So now in midfield, the Dash have Morgan Bryan and Carly Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And Brittany Bach is going to be back. Yeah. Bach will be pretty critical during the World Cup. It's it's going to be interesting to see what, how Bach can help uh, Morgan Bryan really develop into that DM role. Because um, I, I see Bach as, as being very similar to a box, uh, a Shannon box, um, in terms of style of play and physical just presence on the pitch. And so I'm really hoping that Randy Waldrum 
uh, views Morgan Bryan as a DM and can really kind of use Block uh, to help mold her and shape her and educate her on that position. Well, and then their front line now, they have Kalia Ohai, they've got Roach, and they they took Jess McDonald. Sorry, buddy. And then, of course, you've got McCarty, um, Ella Master, who sometimes produces, sometimes doesn't. I mean, when she does produce, she puts on a good show. Yeah, and uh, Melissa Henderson, Mm -hmm. who I think is not as much of a threat, but obviously will, you know, become more critical as, as the team shifts to World Cup phase. So... Yeah, on the attacking front, the Dash are definitely going to be interesting next season. So, I don't think there's any other really big NWSL move. Yeah, the only the only big NWSL move that I wouldn't mind talking about is this fucking international woman of mystery that the Thorns and the media covering the Thorns um, keep bringing up, but don't provide any decent clues about. I mean, is your worst nightmare it's Vero? yeah. Like, my worst nightmare is, uh, I mean, but it's also my best, like, that's that's a really good scenario. Um, that's Vero, but why the fuck are we teasing it like it's a brand new signing? Like, yay, we're, we're going to get Vero after the Women's World Cup. Like, the Thorns are just doing this really dumb, stupid thing where they're putting all of their eggs in the post-World Cup basket. And I don't know if, like, they've done the math to realize they can dig themselves a fucking huge hole before the World Cup and during the World Cup. But I think we're in a position where Ali Long is going to be a striker, like, with Monashim up top. And Kat Williamson's going to be holding down defense. We're going to have uh, Betos and goal. You know, it's just, it's just going to be this, this shanty team um, that's a shell of, like, the 2013 Thorns with a fuck ton of amateur players and we will like legit have to pass the hat for these amateur players who are going to be you know putting everything on the line on the pitch like maybe they'll have to play four or six games for nothing like i'm i'm seriously concerned about the thorns roster i might be less concerned about my roster for the first time ever yeah i'm not i, I your roster isn't looking bad the thorns roster like, fuck, dude, with the World Cup and with, like, Canada is pulling players, uh, Australia is pulling players for uh, residency camps, so we're going to be without Catley, we're going to be without uh, Sinclair for the first half of the season until after the World Cup, and then that's assuming that players are going to be in a hurry to come back after the World Cup. Like, all of these assumptions are that the players are going to miss playing in the NWSL so much that they're going to just hustle back and, you know, jump on board with games uh, in July. And I don't know if that's necessarily a fair uh, assumption to make. I'm, if you look at our roster on paper, I think that we have like 14 players that we could field um, if you take away all of our World Cup prospects. That's rough, buddy. Oh, I'm so, it gives me heartburn. The other relatively big story i feel like in this current cycle of woso news which is you know france england a couple of anubisel moves is um so meg linehan who used to write for equalizer soccer and and covered the breakers pretty faithfully for a couple seasons uh finally broke her silence on part of why she hasn't been really writing about soccer anymore and she basically 
just spilled scalding hot tea all over U.S. soccer. So we were actually able to get Meg Linehan to talk to us personally about what happened with U.S. soccer. Meg, what are you drinking? I'm currently drinking a Samuel Adams winter lager because it is the depths of winter in outside of Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> it's currently like negative 12 outside, so, you know. Yeah, with the wind chill, it is currently don't go outside. It's ass-chappingly cold. That's the temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yet somehow my dog still took five minutes to go to the bathroom, so. Well, apparently when it's this cold with this kind of wind chill, it takes approximately 15 minutes for you to start developing frostbite on exposed Good. skin. Good. So, you know, get out there and shovel those driveways. Yeah. So... A while ago, shit went down between you and U.S. Soccer, their media arm for the women's team, anyway. Um, You tweeted about it, but just in your own words, what happened? Okay, so I I had posted the audio of that conference call, but it was right after Tom Sermani got fired, Jill Ellis got hired, and I mean, I will certainly be the first one to admit that I was confused as to why Tom Cermani would have been fired. Um, So they announced Jill Ellis, and I don't know how many of you guys really remember that day and how that day went down, but we had gotten the email from U.S. Soccer to say that they would have a conference call. And they had also announced, I think on Twitter, that the coach would be announced via Instagram and... I'm sure everyone remembers how Jurgen Klinsmann was announced. And so there were plenty of jokes about, you know, one nation, one team, and Klinsmann gets a press conference in California, whatever, and Jill Ellis gets Instagram. So that conference call was fairly unremarkable, I want to say. You know, most U.S. soccer conference calls don't really stray into um, territory that is uncharted, I suppose. So, and usually back when I was actually still allowed on U.S. soccer conference calls, I would be in like fourth round of questions. So everybody's asking about Jill Ellis, and Jill Ellis is on the call, Sunil Gulati is on the call, and U.S., um, like the media rep is on the call. And so I said, I have two questions. One, did anybody think about how this Instagram announcement is going to look? And two, this was back when CONCACAF qualifiers were still not assi- they had just been assigned to the U.S. after being moved. And I said, is turf going to affect it? And so I addressed this question to Sunil, and he was like, well, as to the second, you know, it's not really a consideration, and it's very early, and it wasn't a very, you know, now it doesn't matter. Um, but as to the Instagram, he was like, we're just not all in the same place, and that's how it's working out, whatever it was. I mean, it's all online for people to listen to. And then the... Um, media rep, who if you are even remotely familiar with U.S. soccer, you will know it's Aaron Heifetz, immediately jumped in to be like, we're just adding Instagram, we're adding Instagram. And I said, okay, well, you know, that's just how it looks. And so that was pretty much, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. I know other people who were on the call had said that was a good question. Like, you know, everybody live tweets as they do the conference calls and people were hitting me up on Twitter and being like, Ooh, that was a solid question. And, um, I didn't really think anything of it. Like I, I 
I'm not particularly afraid of Sunil Gulati or anything <laughs> along those lines. I'm pretty sure he doesn't care about my existence in the slightest. I don't know. You look at the man, he just screams ruthless killer, right? <laughs> I mean, he didn't accept Tom Sermani's gummy worm, so I think he doesn't have a soul, so Maybe. it's fine. So I don't think anything of it, and I immediately get this message that I'm, I, I need to talk with Aaron and I'm going, okay, well, clearly I struck a nerve, whatever. Like, it's not anything personal. The only reason I usually ask questions of that nature is because I think the women's program is slighted or, you know, things aren't being done equally and it looks weird and people comment on it. And it, I don't think it was necessarily out of place in terms of what the conversation of the day was. So, you know, it was middle of summer. I was actually outside in my backyard with my dog when he finally called me back and it was just like a half an hour of being yelled at and how dare you ask that question and things of that nature. And I think my favorite part of that phone call was him being like, all of this is off the record clearly. And I was like, why would it, why, you know, and I was so, this was when I was still really actively reporting, which I've obviously stopped simply because, you know, I couldn't really get the access anymore. And, um, I had stopped writing for the equalizer simply because I wasn't making enough money to continue it as a second job. So I, I sort of fell out of it. But at that point I was like, I don't want to lose access. So I'm just kind of going, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And running down, like he kept being like, what, what's your problem with us soccer? And I was like, I, I mean, I don't really have one. I just want to know if you know what it looks like. So I, I, can understand how he would um, take personal offense since that is his wheelhouse of U.S. soccer. But at the same time, I think it is very much a double standard to have this big pomp and circumstance for Jurgen Klinsmann on the U.S. men's national team being announced with a, a nice press conference and all sorts of stuff. And then to have Jill Ellis announced via Instagram. But that might just be me. Yeah, it's kind of the same as when you have a a kit launch for one team before the World Cup and there's just <laughs> giant media blitz and all these famous people are taking photos of themselves in the Rocket Pop kit and then you have a kit launch for the women's team for the Women's World Cup and you get... A lot of sponsored NWSL tweets. Yeah, sure. That counts. Yeah. So immediately after this, you started getting denied credentials for press. Yeah, so that was the... Um summer when they scheduled the same the national team game in Connecticut um, the same night as the breakers game so I had applied for press credentials for that and that's when I was I just started writing for Brighton Select with Jenna Pell and uh, Lauren Barker and both Lauren and I applied for credentials for that game and we both decided to use Brighton Select because we were, that was right when it was about to launch and really start getting into it. And I'd already posted that first big NWSL piece on it. So it wasn't like I wasn't writing or anything. It was just, you know, we were going to do less pieces, but longer. So we both applied and we both got turned down because they didn't consider the website big enough, but we knew that it was pretty much, you know, I had basically emailed back to be like, I don't understand. It's not like I, you're, I'm not an unknown quantity or anything. 
And they were like, well, the website isn't big enough and, and we're concerned about your professionalism in terms of the questions that you ask and all that kind of stuff. So after that, it was basically like, it's going to be a lost cause. When you applied last summer, about how long had you been writing about women's soccer? That would have been probably at least a year, year and a half. And you'd been reporting on NWSL and national team USA, games. Yeah. I mean, I had flown to Texas for USA Canada, um, gone to Philadelphia, gone to Red Bull Arena. Like, you know, I'd been pretty much up and down the East Coast, gone to Texas. So it wasn't like I wasn't traveling even out of pocket to right. cover U.S. national team games. So, so it was definitely a known entity. So at this point, if Aaron Heifetz were to call you and and say, I'm sorry, we'll reinstate your press credentials, would you accept? Um, I mean, I, I honestly doubt that would happen simply because not only am I certainly in a negative headspace about where this team is at right at the moment, and I, I don't think U.S. soccer necessarily likes it when people want access to write bad things about the team, which I can understand. I mean, that's you want to control your media. And, and see the stories that you want published. But, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily having access to players who get media coaching is an important part of covering the team. I think that you can watch a game and still be able to, to make some important analysis of where this team is at leading into the World Cup. Do I think it's nice to be able to go to practices and things like that? Absolutely. But I think that you can still say things about this team without having to see them 100% of the time, even though it's not ideal. So when you say media coaching, what I'm getting from that then is that even if you have access, like media credentials, and you talk to players, because of the coaching, you don't necessarily get anything that really adds value to an article? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it depends on what the topic is. But if you're writing an article about like that France game, let's say, you're, you're not going to get anything super insightful from those players. And that's not surprising. You're going to get a, you know, we need to play better. Or not even that necessarily. It's, you know, we've got some lessons to take away from this game and we're going to tighten up AYZ and that sort of thing. You're not going to get anything that you don't already know. So I, do you need to talk to someone on the team in order to figure out like, wow, that midfield got completely demolished. Let me talk to someone in that midfield. They're not going to tell you anything helpful. Okay, so in the end, do you really miss that press pass? I mean, it's nice simply to be able to go to a game or go to a practice and have the players know who you are. So that way, if there's a different story that you want to write that isn't a gamer or analysis of the team, but you know something like what's the future of the NWSL and something that they might be able to you know talk a little bit more about and have a 20-minute phone call, like, that's where you're going to lose out when you lose that press pass. Is there anything that you'd like to say to Aaron Heifetz? Yeah, I mean, I don't... At this point, it's been so long that I... Like, I honestly just don't care anymore. Like, it is what it is, and I, I think at that point in time when it happened, I was incredibly upset. Like, I got off that phone call, and I was crying which now really makes me mad that I let myself get that angry. And now looking back on it, I wish that I'd stood up for myself a little bit more. And I, I think I made some good points on that phone call. But, you know, at this point, I, I think that this team 
is in a very different space than where it was last summer and from where it was when Tom Sermani was coaching and when I was really in the height of what I was working on for U.S. Women's National Team. So I think with some distance, it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it did last summer. So do I have anything to say? To it? Not really. I think it's crappy. I think it's crappy because uh, I think that they make an effort to push out like the lower level people who are doing it out of a love of the game, out of the love of the team, if they don't have something good to say, because they have a bigger picture of women's soccer, women's soccer in the U.S., whatever it is, if it's a momentary criticism, instead of looking at that criticism objectively and saying, could we do something better? The comment is, well, you don't know how much we do. I might not know how much you do because you don't tell us that, but I think that in the long run, I don't know. I mean, it it just really doesn't bother me as much now, but I am worried that there is not enough insightful coverage of that team. Now I am starting to see more articles, like especially after that France game, there was a lot of really good, you know, it wasn't mainstream. It wasn't Fox soccer or anything, um, but there are a lot of smart people out there who are writing really smart things about the team that might actually I don't think they're going to necessarily change the way that the team is run, but I think they might be changing the way that people are looking at the team and that might filter up to that mainstream media that's covering the team. But is Grant Wall ever going to ask a question? Like, why is the women's coach being announced via Instagram? Probably not. So I think that someone coming from my level, my experience, my viewpoint is just as important as someone like Grant Wall who gets all of that access and has to ask the very safe questions. And you put those two things together, and that's when you finally get the complete picture. Okay. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Meg. I hope that you don't die from being buried in snow. (laughs) Thank you. The same for you. I mean, you're pretty much in the same boat. So, one wrong question, 30-minute dress down, then blacklisted. Not necessarily even a wrong question, like one question. Yeah, one question well, that wasn't was, a softball or towing the line or that allowed Yeah, them... that wasn't like, oh, how many candidates did you actually have for this position? But was like, hey, so you guys are not treating this like one nation, one team. Poor oh, K. That is the most bullshit hashtag ever. Oh my god, it makes me so mad. I used to love it, and now I'm just like, fuck you. Where's our fucking press release with fucking Spike Lee and Haim and all these other celebrities wearing the new jersey? Why isn't uh, Clint Dempsey wearing a jersey with two stars over the heart to support the women's national team? Because people would get confused. Like, it just pisses me off that Nike won't even sell a men's kit with two stars over the heart because of potential confusion. Well, then, if people saw a dude wearing that, they'd be like... The men's national team hasn't won any World Cups. And then anybody with half a brain would then have to go, oh, right, because it's a women's team jersey. Yeah, or, you you know, it's got a women's team player's name on the back of it or something like that. If anybody who sees that doesn't know that it refers to the women's team wearing two World Cups, then... Well, the thing, the thing is, tell you, is like, they have to know enough about footy to know that the stars mean world cup wins then they should probably be educated on the fact that yeah usa has won two world cups 
they do the reverse because France, on their national website, they sell the men's kit with the star and the women's kit without, and they're not worried about anybody making a mistake when it's that direction. So why, when the situation is flipped, are they worried that people are going to, you know, make a mistake? It, it's bullshit. It's fucking bullshit. It, so long I, story short, yeah. you step on toes with U.S. soccer. Uh, you get denied credentials. We are attempting to maybe perhaps become a tad more legitimate than... Um, just two idiot fans uh, getting together and drinking weekly or every other week. And, like, example, you uh, were able to go to the draft and pick up audio um, of coaches and, and things like that through through getting a press pass and all that jazz. Um, I don't think we could ever legitimately get a press pass to cover any sort of U.S. soccer anything. No, I think if they were, if they did any little bit of background research into us, like if we said, oh, it's for the podcast Two Drunk Fans, and they went and listened to even one podcast, just picked it at random, and heard us going, Abby Wambach, blah, blah, this coach. Joe Ellis is a meanie. Where is Amy Rodriguez? Why can't Tom Sermonti, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we would be blacklisted in a half a second. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking we need to create a dummy website. That is like two legitimate fans, and just post like the good clips. Like each each episode is only gonna be like two minutes, where we praise U.S. soccer. My good comrades, we must all support <laughs> the <laughs> well, United we'll States like Soccer a, a, Federation. The national anthem. And the it's... national anthem will be gently playing in the background. Yeah, some eagle screeches, the, or even just the FIFA uh, soundtrack. We'll uh we'll push one nation one team real hard too. Oh fuck yeah! It needs to be in the title somewhere. One nation one podcast. Yeah, that's the new name of the show. But just until we get credentialed. <laughs> just until we just until we've trick them. One podcast em. one team. All we need is one game. All we need is to get to go behind the scenes for one fucking match, and we would blow that shit. Up. <laughs> out of the water and we would dev- we would get blacklisted as fans they would, would put up our we names would, we would have to ask to have to ask friends to buy us tickets yeah and they would put up pictures of us <laughs> at like the ticket booths so that we would be kept we'd be banned from stadiums in the future <laughs> oh my god oh, we'd both have hilarious. to like wear a wig and maybe a mustache yeah. or some heavy makeup and yeah. sneak in this is this is getting serious. This is getting intense. Suddenly we're we're changing our fingerprints. Because yeah, we're gonna start fingerprinting uh at the at the gates. We have to go as deep undercover as spies as a certain <laughs> German goalkeeper did in Portland. <laughs> Maybe even deeper. Oh my god. So moral of story, somebody at US soccer media, at least on women's side, is a Napoleonic power monger. <laughs> and they, yes. It's not just Meg Linehan. I've heard a lot of stories from other media, not big media, because they don't mistreat people like Grant Wall, but, you know, smaller outlets or mid-sized outlets that just, you know, they've been disrespected or talked down to or not treated the way they should, considering a lot of people don't give this team the time of day, especially in off years, but these people faithfully cover the team month in and month out, just trudging along in kind of a thankless job. Yeah, do better. Hire hire better people and 
and be okay like having a little controversy um on a brighter note sid larue got married sydney dwyer she got secret married she got awesome secret married and had an awesome way to reveal it. I thought she was just being all mushy because it was a uh, Valentine's Day and being like, oh, I found my soulmate. But she she played the slow game, man. She tweeted like around mid-morning um, a cheesy thing. And then like five hours later, tweeted like, you marry the guy. Wearing a Dwyer jersey. But not to fear, she's keeping LaRue on her jersey for the United States. I feel like I feel like Nike uh really appreciates some of these things like nike might have a thing at, at stake with like morgan and larue keeping their last names well also i think she's a pretty modern woman and oh absolutely like, absolutely the problem with this whole name taking thing i've seen people are like it's just tradition i'm like well it's a tradition Who's that's tradition? really lopsided and has its roots in uh-huh. super gross patriarchal ideals so it's not that someone is taking someone else's name. It's the automatic assumption that a woman will always take a man's name and erase her own. Right. If a couple decides between themselves, based on their own particular circumstances, they want a single name and it's not due to any kind of weird external factors like tradition, that's cool. That's a thing that they do because they love each other. But if you do it because it's expected of you, because you're a woman, that's gross. That's really gross. Well, and it's really hard to, like, change all of the things. It is. It's just inconvenient, too. Right. That's that's what I mean by hard. Yeah. Like, there are just hoops to jump through. It's like when you move um, and you have to change your address on everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Way to go, Sid. Way, way to uh, keep it low profile. Um, and uh, damn Dom Dwyer on that ring that he got her. Damn Dom Dwyer on that ring that he got. Wait. holy shit his wedding band oh my god okay so take sid's wedding band in like width and he like hers has like a huge rock in it right yeah his is probably just as wide but it has multiple bands of diamonds wow i um i looked up similar rings to sid's on tiffany's like similar cut uh and tried to find similar carrot and that is minimum, like a thirty-five thousand dollar ring, probably closer to fifty thousand. Oh, absolutely. 000. He's he's getting he's he's making a paycheck, man. That's a college like, fund. I mean, yeah. you got to imagine at some at some point they're they're making footballers money. Yeah, I mean, Sid, she's got some endorsements. Yeah, Nesquik. Uh, boat. Uh, paying the bills. She's got that um, Beats by Dre thing. Beats by Dre, Nesquik. Uh, she's got uh, Nike, obviously. Uh, the other thing we haven't talked about are the new kits. Well, we kind of talked about them a few weeks ago, I guess. What, what else is there um, to say except... Try harder? Try harder. Now, Ange had an interesting set of tweets where she implied that these kits were partially the result of U.S. soccer meddling with Nike. And it's not entirely Nike's fault that they churned out like some kind of terrible wash accident jersey. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. I don't know what U.S. Soccer is thinking, but that that could also be the name of the show. They ruin everything they touch, especially recently. Everything the light touches was ruined <laughs> by U.S. Soccer. What about that dark place over there? That's where Tom Sermani went to be with Canada. <laughs> oh man! What else? What else? What else do we have going on? What else is going on in our world? Uh. 
I don't know, but is there anything going on in our lives as podcasters that we should probably tell people about? I mean, I feel like we've been doing stuff and making moves. Are we ready to tell people? We've been hinting. We've been teasing. Are we ready to go official? Should, as, we, should we go? Should we make this Facebook as official? As with Portland, like teasing is good, but too much teasing is <laughs> just drives you crazy. <laughs> Some sometimes sometimes you just gotta you just gotta make the move. You gotta. I think, I think we're gonna make the move. You gotta run to the next base. Yeah. So, Gab and I have decided to start a Kickstarter. Woo! To fund our debauched lives as podcasters. Well. Essentially, like, we could keep up doing this the way that we're doing this. Um, it is low cost. Like, it, this isn't becoming a financial burden on us. But we want to take it to the next level. Because right now, uh, I'd say that there are probably a good 200 to 300 people who probably listen to this fairly regularly. And we'd like to get it out in front of more people. But uh, another way of kind of branching out and, and, and getting more uh, exposure is through merch. And... That's not something that either one of us has the financial capacity to just fund. And so we're using Kickstarter to kind of kickstart uh, merch as, as a thing that two drug fans can do. But also we're looking to kind of fund the next two years. We see World Cup and the Olympics as two big things that we are going to want to talk about and we're going to want to talk to other people about. So we're looking for resources to help pay for hosting online. Um, we're looking for technical resources to, to help us you know, upgrade to, to some slightly better equipment. We're looking to include more music and maybe better music um, so that we can kind of enhance the show and, and make, it, make it a little bit better. A little spit and polish. I mean, even listening to our earlier podcast, like the first, <laughs> wow, the first three, four, five, ten were pretty rough, and we've, <laughs> we've come a long way on like a negative budget. So I think with a little help, um, we could help polish up the friends. show even more, yeah, and deliver a better product uh, on a more semi-regular basis. Um, we actually have a pretty legitimate budget that we've put together over the last month and a half or so. Majority of it's going to go towards the merch that you will actually be getting by contributing to the Kickstarter. Yeah, what we're offering is um, a couple tiers, some basic stuff, stickers, uh, coasters with alternate show logos that were designed for us, once again by Holly Duthie, and t-shirts, and then uh, hopefully eventually scarves. Yeah, so um, we we hope that you think it's a it's a good deal. We're really going to be pushing it over the next thirty days, so the the show will be a little bit more NPR-y toward the end of the show, and uh, you you'll see our tweeter is going to kind of be linking it quite often. What we get is a little more support that we need to help polish up the show, and uh, you get hopefully fabulous merch, and. Um, you help us spread the word about the show. So to get us started, our good friend Richard Farley, he has offered to match the first $400 um, that we raise. Um, so we're really hoping that this is something that we can we can find people who are as passionate about kind of continuing to, to grow and, and talk about women's soccer and this podcast and the stupid things that we do and talk about. We're, we're hoping that, that people follow suit. So feel free to retweet. Uh, feel free to ask us questions, both on SoundCloud, on Twitter, um, through the Kickstarter, 
um, we're really excited about it. I really encourage you to go to the Kickstarter page to see the breakdown of the costs. Um, it sounds like a lot, but I think we did a pretty good job of keeping it realistic. Yeah, and if we happen to go over our goal, um, everything's going to be going towards more merch. So in conclusion... We're going to wrap up this clusterfuck of a show. <laughs> please donate to our Kickstarter or retweet it or Facebook it or whatever you kids use as social media these days. And in return, we hope to deliver some world-class merch to you. It's going to be fantastic stuff, guys. Like we Don't, don't, don't oversell it. <laughs> Lower your expectations. <laughs> Lower your expectations. Delightfully inconsistent. Two Drunk Fans is brought to you by you, our listeners, Hot Toddies, and by the relentless soul-crushing snowfall keeping me inside all day. <laughs>